Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Welcome to another edition of Alternative News brought to you by Andrew Irving from the Campaign for International Cooperation and Disarmament. Welcome to the summer break repeats of the best of Alternative News from 2015. Today our program presents a recording of the Anzac Coalition Forum held at the Uniting Church on Wednesday night, 12th of August 2015. The forum was organised by the Victorian Council of Churches. This forum was titled Peace in Australia, the Untold Story of Australia from 1946 to 1976, from Anzac to Vietnam. The speakers were Reverend Sandy Yale, Professor Michael Hamill-Green and Andrew Hewitt. In today's program, we will hear from Andrew Hewitt. Andrew commenced his political activism while he was in secondary school at Melbourne High School in 1970-71. Andrew was an executive member of the Vietnam Moratorium Committee between 1971 and 72 and the Secretary of the Campaign for International Cooperation and Disarmament from 1976 to 1980. Let me introduce you to Andrew as he comes to reflect out of his story. Thank you. Thanks very much, Ian. Thanks a lot for the opportunity to come along. I hope I can uh, do justice to your opening comments. Perhaps, first of all, just to acknowledge the land that we're meeting on and uh, pay my respects to elders past and present. I've been asked to reflect on peace and anti-war and solidarity activities in the 1950s and 1960s. And while some people have accused me of uh, being born middle-aged, I didn't experience those, most of those 1950s, 1960s times. I go back... Um, I have very vivid memories of my first ever demonstration, which was on May the 8th, 1970... It was the first moratorium, Vietnam moratorium. And uh, I had an English literature exam that morning because I was a 16-year-old doing Year 11, as it's now called, Form 5, as it was then called. And I'm dashing home. I got out of my school uniform because I wasn't in a turn-up to, to a demonstration in my school uniform and went to the demonstration, which I suspect there were more than a few people who eat here tonight who were at that demonstration. It was quite an extraordinary event uh, and I think it was life-changing for me but it was life-changing for Australian politics and Australian society. It began for me a life of literally following four decades or so of involvement in peace, international development, international solidarity and disarmament activities, including working for CICD, the Congress for International Cooperation and Disarmament, for about five years, People for Nuclear Disarmament in the early 1980s, and then I worked for the British Campaign for Nuclear Disarmament, CND, as Secretary of Trade Union CND for a couple of years including mostly working with defence industry workers on arms conversion projects. So, and then it followed through to working for Oxfam for about 22 years. So that's how I got here. So I've been asked to speak about the 50s and 60s. It's going to come from not so much my own experience, 
but what I learned from others who'd been involved for many years before I got involved in the peace and nuclear disarmament movements and also some of my reading. Coin a totally inappropriate term. It's been the exchange of war stories about disarmament uh, battles and movements I'll be drawing upon. So the 1950s and 60s, or maybe going even a little bit early in the immediate post-war World War II period, it was clearly an extremely difficult time for people who were concerned with trying to create a more peaceful world and trying to make sure that there was no repeat of World War II, and particularly that there was no repeat of Hiroshima and Nagasaki. It was also a time where that difficulty really came through because of the unfolding Cold War, affecting particularly well both domestic politics but also global situation. And in a sense, it affected capacity to imagine and imagine a different way of move, thinking about the world and thinking about uh, development and, and international relations. There was very limited space for what you could describe as third world thinking. It was a time when we had a construction of alliances. For the Australian case, 1951, we had the ANZUS alliance created. We had CATO. We had NATO being created in the late 1940s. On the other side, you had the Warsaw Pact and the other alliances. It was also a time of massive decolonisation processes. When we think that the first United Nations meetings back in 1945 had something like 50-odd nations, about 53 nations there, and we now have over 100 or nearly 200 nations, that's symptomatic of the impact of decolonisation processes. And some of those decolonisation processes weren't smooth and easy, uh, so you also had the growth of national liberation struggles, and that became particularly the fore in the 1950s and 1960s. The domestic environment was, and the Australian domestic environment was in some ways reflected what was happening on a global basis. Labor was in office up until 1949, but was under increasing pressure to not really pursue an independent foreign policy. Everett as foreign minister, I think, had played a very important role at the United Nations in the formation of the United Nations, and Labor and the Australian government more generally in support for decolonisation processes, particularly in Indonesia. But uh, you mentioned the White Australia policy. That was sacrosanct. Effectively, no questioning permitted of the White Australia policy. There was a relatively large, organised, what you could describe as the left. The Communist Party, as recently about 1943, 44, had something like 25,000 members. And they weren't all security agents. It was uh, a significant force. The trade union movement was extremely strong and heavily influenced by left-wing forces. It's a time when more than 50% of the Australian workforce would have been members of a trade union. And that has implications when we look at uh, peace and nuclear disarmament activities in the, in the 1950s in particular. When I talk about peace and nuclear disarmament, I also very clearly think in terms of international solidarity. I put the three together, peace, international solidarity and disarmament efforts. In the immediate post-war period, there was uh, developments that occurred at an international level which had implications for what, what happened here in Australia. Rarely did the traffic travel the other way. In April, May 1949, there was a, a world conference of the partisans of peace. There were a number of Australian delegates there. From my understanding, most of those Australian delegates were members of the Communist Party. Upon their return, there were peace councils formed in most Australian cities or most Australian states. And in 1950, there was an Australian Peace Congress held in Melbourne. And the keynote speaker was Archdeacon uh, Hewlett-Johnson, 
who is also known as the Red Dean. He's the, he's the Dean of Canterbury. He'd written a book called The Socialist Six of the World. What's important is that uh, linkages between what you could describe as the organised left, but also key figures, in, particularly amongst the churches. And Hewlett Johnson, in a sense, uh, gave that sense on a global scale. That Peace Congress was was pretty critical. It was a mass event and included a, a rally at the exhibition buildings in, uh, just over the road, which was attended by something like 12,000 people. I'm quite sure we would be ecstatic if we had 12,000 people at a piece of nuclear disarmament in 2015. And remember, the population of Melbourne was significantly smaller than what it is now. It was followed up by the uh, Australian Peace Councils joining in joint effort the World Peace Council for a mass petition it's called the Stockholm Appeal, which was basically for the banning of nuclear weapons. And in Australia, there was something like 200,000 signatures collected. It was, a, it was a genuine attempt to reach out. I've referred a moment ago to uh, the linkages between or, or the strong involvement of church people. And that was personified by free people in particular. And it's quite appropriate we're meeting in, uh, in the Unitarian Church because one of those people came from the Unitarian Church, and it was Victor James. The other two were uh, the Reverend Alf Dickey and the Reverend Frank Hartley. Alf Dickey from the Presbyterians, Frank Hartley from the Methodists. I didn't have the honour of... Well, I was in a room once with Alf Dickey, so that's my... Uh, I'm sure there are others who, who here tonight who, who may have met them, uh, one of those three people. They were clearly very courageous figures and courageous people who, through very difficult times, were prepared to stand up for what they believed. And... There's maybe things that are to be learned from that. The peace councils back in the early 1950s drew support and their, at least their public heads were the peace parsons. They had support also from some key academics at uh, Melbourne University. There was only one university in Melbourne at that stage, not like the... How many is it these days? About nine, I think, or ten in Victoria. And a prominent figure who who started to make the linkages with uh, peace movement then was Jim Cairns, who at that stage was an academic at, uh, at Melbourne University. Uh, the Australian Student Christian Movement was another group which was active, and I'm sure Sandy will be talking about them to a much greater extent later on. There was a formal affiliation with the World Peace Council, which was clearly very much in terms of the bipolar view of the world, aligned, or at least, say the least, highly sympathetic with uh, the Soviet view of the world. And that affiliation became a very significant issue and I think severely affected the, the effectiveness and the, the reach of the peace councils back in the early 1950s. It was clearly the world, the external environment, had its role to play in Australia. The Korean War in the early 1950s led to the reintroduction of conscription, but not for overseas service. Conscription stayed in place until the late 1950s, so beyond the Korean War. It, from my understanding, my readings, the uh, approach to the Korean War became one of those stress points within the peace councils at that stage. At the time of the Korean War, some non-communist leaders and non-communist activists resigned over the unwillingness of the peace councils to agree to any criticism of any power or any state except of the United States. There was some activity against the war. There were demonstrations, small-scale demonstrations, but, and some industrial activity over the, uh, the shipment of war materials to Korea. And that involvement of trade unions, again, is something which uh, is not quite the situation in, in the year 2015. Increasingly, uh, the Korean War 
ended in the stalemate which persists to, to, to today. The peace councils kept on existing, but I don't think you could ever say that they were mass movements or anything like. They were highly, very much seen as of the left. They were seen to be closely identified with Soviet foreign policy, effectively. There was some international solidarity actions, quite courageous work. In 1954, Sydney waterside workers held up the, the ship called the Radnor, which was shipping a cargo of barbed wire to French forces in Indochina. Uh, there was an early development of trade union action. It followed the work that the similar group of uh, workers had done back in the late 1940s around the independence of Indonesia. But it was... It was probably the first sign that Vietnam, Indochina more broadly, was starting to arrive on the Australian political scene. In 1954, there was also what has been described as fairly modest, but actually quite, I think, quite important uh, in its thinking, in Trade Union Peace Week in New South Wales. Why it was important, it was the first time that the slogan, Peace is Trade Union Business, was ever used in uh, Australian political discourse. It, it started to become a term which really, I think, you take it through, getting back to May 19, 1970, when the, the slogan was stop work to stop the war. That had a, a trade union edge to it. There's one reflection of the 1950s piecework, which uh, I was reading the other day, which rang true not just for the 1950s. And it was with, the quote was, with one or two exceptions, the activities of the mass movement for peace, and let's put aside the question whether it was a mass movement or not, in the whole decade of the 1950s comprised conferences, meetings, propaganda through films, and above all, words. It wasn't a time of big demonstrations. It wasn't a time of what you could describe as militant activity. Next big event that really took place which signified a certain broadening out of the peace movement was in 1959, and again occurred in Melbourne, and that was the Congress for International Cooperation and Disarmament, CICD. And that had over a 1,000 delegates. It was a massive event. It succeeded to some degree in broadening out the support and the involvement of uh, people in, in the peace movement. It attracted the attention, the active at attention of security forces. You had people like Brigadier Spry, who was in charge of ASIO, making contact with Congress's sponsors and participants, urging them not to attend. Similarly, people like William Wentworth, who was a Liberal Party MP, quite prominent backbench MP, prominent at least in the sense of his voice being very speaking out loud, uh, doing his best to encourage people not to attend. It was a, a thousand people, again, a very large gathering, reasonable breadth. It was also an opportunity for different voices amongst those who are concerned with peace and nuclear disarmament and uh, support for in or international solidarity, different voices, some of which reflected what had happened in the, the 1950s. Thank you for listening to Community Radio 3CR, brought to you by the Campaign for International Cooperation and Disarmament. I am Andrew Irving, looking forward to your company next week. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast, produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.